The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome Disability Law Show. We are back. It's so good to have you along for the ride. We'll get your emails here uh, very shortly and your questions. John Skull's here and Tamara Gopian. She's uh, doing all the heavy lifting like she does every week on the show, right? You want to reach out anytime to Tamar Samfiru Tamarkin LLP is the firm top rated on Google. Uh, the phone number anytime for you to reach out, one 855 help at disabilityrights.ca. And uh, Tamara and I just kind of debuted this the other week on our TV show on Global, and uh, that would be pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. More details on that forthcoming, but uh, you can go there anytime now. Really, really simple way to educate yourself without even picking up a phone call and making that call to Tamar and her team. Again, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. It's a super uh, website, your desktop, your uh, your smartphone, tablet, whatever you want to use, you are feel free to embark and have a little, uh, have a gander at that. But we're going to get to our emails very shortly here momentarily, uh, Tamar, but we always start off with a case of day or something that you been working on pal what do you got this week well as you mentioned at the top of our show we have all of these different resources for people to find ways to contact us or get information from our various websites without even speaking to one of us which i think is fantastic and so one of these questions sort of filtered through and i wanted to start out the show talking about this particular question because it was actually somewhat unique uh, and, you know, she's a listener and this is what she posed to us. Okay, John, and I know you usually do the talking, but bear with me. So she says to us, as a future client of your firm, if I email you all of like the details and lengthy, you know, information about what's happening with my disability claim and with my employer and then end up actually including information about my desired outcome from, you know, either my employment claim or my disability claim, mm-hmm. is this correspondence going to eventually come back and essentially bite me in the, so to speak? <laughs> um, so, you know, she was concerned about this idea of putting information, very detailed information into an email, sending us correspondence or even speaking with us and wondering if her claim went all the way through to trial, what could happen? Could this be disclosed? in what's called in Canada discovery or the production process of discovery. And so in the States, John, this is called depositions in case our listeners are are looking at American TV and so on. But in any event, uh, what I liked about this question was, um, you know, there is a lot of hesitation around people contacting us. And I wanted to dispel that right away, that people should absolutely not feel anxious about talking to us, because even though you're not our client just yet, we are providing you guidance and information that may inform us and you as a listener or as a consultant, so to speak, that could then form the basis of a legal claim. And in Canada, that is a pretty wide scope as what we call litigation privilege or solicitor client privilege. And so even though we may not be this actual person's lawyer just yet, if the primary purpose of providing this information to us was to formulate a legal claim, Hmm. then there is another category of privilege that would protect this kind of exchange of information. And so I want to put it out there that people should not feel worried about this sort of thing, either being disclosed down the road or feeling that pressure of perhaps the insurance company wanting to know these kinds of details that you would have exchanged with a lawyer. Um, even if it's outside of that strict solicitor-client relationship, that lawyer-client relationship. And so it was a good one. And, I, you know, I, what I really liked was 
she said to us, look, there's plenty of information. I want to send you everything. And I thought to myself, yes, please do send us all of that information because it's really, really helpful for us to see everything and then talk to you more meaningfully during our consultations around your options. If there are things we don't know, then we won't be able to answer those questions during our consultations, which of course are absolutely free. There's no obligation. And as John would have said at the start of the show, there's all of these different resources. And this particular question came in through help at disabilityrights.ca, which is one of our other avenues that people can email us and just find out uh, answers to their questions. I love it. And again, it's, uh, as uh, Tamar just mentioned, mydisabilityquestions.com. There's also the uh, advantage of dropping a phone call in there as well, one 821 5900 and pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. Just mentioned that. It's brand new. And uh, have, a, have a glance at that. It's free and anonymous as well. Let's get into our first uh, email for the uh, the show here tomorrow from Paulo. says, hi, guys. Was uh, was asked to fill out a form with my work experience, etc., and include a resume by my insurance after being on LTD for almost six months with a herniated disc pressing against my sciatic nerve, causing extreme pain from my lower back all the way down to my foot. The health system, very slow. I've had an MRI and finally spoke to a neurosurgeon. Neurosurgeon suggested trying steroid epidural injections at the site of the hernia. I'm waiting for a call to get that done. My case agent says it's necessary for phase two of disability after six months. Is that a scare tactic or is it true they can put me in any job they think I can do? What do you think? I like this, Paulo. I like this because, <laughs> um, you know, no, they can't put you, the easy answer is no. They can't just put you into any job. In fact, the insurance camp company can't force you to do any work if your doctors are saying you can't work. And I think that's where a lot of people lose sight of what it is, the messaging that they're getting from these insurance companies, right? John, is is this idea that, oh, they're they're putting me back to work or they're saying there's some other job I can do. It must therefore mean that I have to go down this process. Well, no, the starting point is your own medical team. And why I like this email is because it is underlining a very critical issue that I've seen certainly in the last year or so uh, where our health system across the country whether it be BC, Alberta, Ontario, any of the provinces that we practice in, it is very slow. And it's slow in terms of getting the testing that's required uh, or getting in to see a doctor or particularly a specialist, for example, in Paulo's case, that sounds like that's the big um, slowdown is seeing the neurosurgeon and you know getting this sort of treatment in, plate, in place for his herniated disc. And insurance companies are getting impatient. And so I think what we're seeing is a bit of a trend in pushing forward the analysis that they would normally doing be doing as an insurance company earlier than you know sort of punting it down the road. So what Polo tells us is that he's been asked to provide his whole education and training and experience background within that six month mark of being on claim. And what's unusual about that, of course, is because he probably listens to our shows as well, John, is that usually the insurance company won't do that kind of a review unless they're somewhat close to what we call the change of definition under the policy. If Paulo's claim is going from a review of whether or not he can do his own job, his own occupation, to looking at whether there's something else he can do, then the context of that with the resume and all that information makes a lot of sense. But usually that's at the two-year mark. After 24 months of payments, or just before that, the insurance company will engage in this process where they look to see if there's something else that you can do. Mm -hmm. The fact that they're doing it for Paulo, you know, sort of six months in, 
tells me one of two things. Like I said, they're getting antsy, right? So they're already looking at, okay, is there an opportunity for us to close this out? What's this going to look like? You know, even if the change of definition is 18 months from now and so on. Alternatively, it could be, John, that he's got a 12-month own occupation period. It's rare. We don't see that a lot, but it does exist in some policies where that definition change, where it goes from the insurance company looking at your own occupation to any occupation, happens at that 12-month mark. In which case, then, for Paulo, having the adjuster do it at the six-month mark is not terribly unusual in that context. What I think might be happening as well is Maybe the insurance adjusters looked at all his medical information and they've concluded, you know what, he's definitely going to be on claim with us for the next two years. Even if it's a 24-month own occupation period, it could be that they've already thrown up their hands. So the underlying messaging there is not necessarily negative for Paulo. Look, he he does have to cooperate, right, John? I mean, there is a, a mutual cooperation here when you are on a disability claim. Insurance adjusters will ask you a series of questions. They'll want touch points. They'll want updated medical information. That is normal, so to speak, mm-hmm. uh, within reason, of course. Uh, but and so I, I don't want to see Paulo not cooperating with the adjuster. But I think I think the email is helpful just to give him some context that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to say to him tomorrow there's some other job that he can do. The policy is really supreme here, and yes. if he's curious about what it says, right, just get a copy, put it in writing, get a copy of that policy. We'll take a quick look and we'll give him some of that context that I think is what he's looking for, which is why is this happening at this phase? You know, shouldn't it be happening down the road? And by the way, I'm waiting forever in time to get the treatment that I need anyway, so I'm not getting back to work anytime soon. Paulo, nicely done. Appreciate you uh, reaching out. You can do that uh, any other time by phone as well to carry on that conversation. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Now, uh, off the top tomorrow, we did mention made reference to mydisabilityquestions.com. Just got one in from that particular website. And by the way, guys, you can use that anytime. It's free and anonymous and searchable as well. See if your question has been asked. We'll get to this one quickly before we break and maybe carry it over. It says tomorrow, can I request another independent medical examiner from my insurance? The one they sent me to wouldn't listen to me and he has many negative reviews on multiple platforms he also contradicts what my family doctor and chiropractor has stated what do you think tomorrow <laughs> yeah this is an interesting question definitely um so what's it, john what's let's just put it into context what's an independent medical examination i just want to start there for our mm-hmm. listeners this is one of those tools that the insurance companies use to quote unquote assess or adjudicate disability claims. And so it may get to a point where someone's on claim and the adjuster's saying, you know what, we want you examined by one of our own doctors. And they will set that up and send a claimant to be seen by this particular doctor. But it's not independent, okay? It's not independent. Nothing could be further from the truth because it is a hired gun. It is definitely an expert that the insurance company has hired and they are directing this expert, John, to answer very specific questions, one of which really will come down to whether or not this claimant can work. And so I think that in the context of that, anyone who's being asked to attend an independent medical examination from their adjuster needs to be weary about that process because you know that you're going into it with some kind of bias to begin with. The insurance company really is looking for another opinion potentially one that satisfies them that you can work. But let's do this. Let's take our break and let me pick up more directly the second part of the the question that came through. 
You bet. We'll do that now. And uh, as we get into that break, the phone number again, one 821 Email that we use, help at disabilityrights.ca. And the website you can use anytime to uh, to navigate and educate yourself. It's free and anonymous, and it's only been around a short time, but uh, but we love it already. Getting some good feedback. That is pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. And we'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show in moments. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we are back. Disability Law Show, John Scholes, Tamar Agopian, always uh, available for that chat with you anytime. That number, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca and the website where you can educate yourself freely and anonymously, simple pocket disabilitylawyer.ca. But this one we're just talking about before the break, Tamar, comes from my disability question. Basically, medical examiner from the insurance company, not listening to them. Lots of negative reviews on many platforms, which is interesting. I've never thought about doing that with uh, with an IME, is Googling the doctor they're using. And also contradicts what their family doctor and their chiropractor has stated, the person that's actually treating this person. So what do you think about all that? Right. Well, look, I think the, the Google aspect of it actually is is quite bright, right? I I give this, you know, this person who's written in a lot of credit in terms of discrediting, right? The examiner. And we do this a lot, John, actually. I mean, James and I talk about this a lot about going on to even, you know, the College of Physicians and Surgeons and seeing what kind of specialty this person has. Sometimes they're not even doctors. Like it's a, it's a whole thing, right? About what kind of uh, expert, so to speak, the insurance company has hired to do these examinations. But I'm less surprised by the fact that they're contradicting this individual's own family doctor and chiropractor. That's not surprising to me whatsoever, because as I said to you, to to our listeners before our break, that's essentially the goal of these IMEs is for the insurance company to get a different point of view, one that they've paid for and one that's going to facilitate or help the insurance company bring the LTD claim to a close. So they will direct what this uh, IME doctor is looking at, so the medical information. They will direct where the IME is going to take place, how long it's going to be, and as I said before, the kinds of questions that they ask the IME doctor to answer. And so I think the bigger issue here is the fact that the the doctor didn't listen to this individual. Mm. And so the advice that I always give in situations like this is, you want to be able to have your own account of what was said to the doctor during the IME or what occurred during the IME or even how you felt after the IME occurred. Those kinds of documentation that you can prepare yourself as a claimant when you're going through the IME process can be very helpful in discrediting later on the conclusions that the IME doctor has made in a report that they'll prepare and that they'll send to the insurance company. Because if the insurance company is then going to rely on this opinion from the IME doctor to cut off your claim, you want to make sure that you've documented with your adjuster, well, hang on, here are the errors in this report. Here are the things that are missing in this report that I said to the doctor. Doctor says they met with me for an hour and a half. It was only 20 minutes. You know, there's so many effective ways to undermine the IME if it really does come down to these kinds of facts that then undermine the conclusion, right? Which is what you want to get at ultimately. The contradictory aspect of it 
then really emboldens me to think, okay, well then get your family doctor and your chiropractor to rebut the IME report, right? Then have it sent to you and to your treatment providers and have them also look at it and say, no, this isn't accurate. This isn't accurate for uh, you know, a health perspective, or this isn't accurate in terms of where my patient is at right now, and certainly not accurate in terms of the conclusions from what I've looked at as a treating practitioner from for where he or she is right now on the path of either further treatment or returning back to work and so on and so forth. And so I think that what I wouldn't want to see though, and that's really the heart of the question is, can I ask the insurance company to put another IME doctor on? It sounds like the IME has already been completed. So I wouldn't necessarily invite the insurance company to have another crack at you, in essence, right? To have another opportunity from another doctor to then assess you and say perhaps the same thing as the first IME doctor said. Because you're stacking opinions and reports at that point. And you want that balance to be imbalanced, actually. You want to have more doctors or more practitioners supporting you know, the fact that you're still incapable of working and having that information over to the insurance company to look at, as opposed to giving the insurance company an opportunity to hire another hired gun that's going to likely make the same conclusions, perhaps the same errors, perhaps ignore you as well through that process. And But the conclusion of that will be yet another report that supports that the insurance company should potentially cut you off. So when I weigh the pros and cons in terms of what this person is experiencing, I prefer you know, trying to attack the IME doctor, the, the, the process, the conclusions, and then also have it rebut by your own medical practitioners. And then, frankly, ultimately, if your doctors are so supporting that you can't work and the insurance company is refusing to consider their opinions and refuses to look at your claim past a certain point in time and cuts off the disability claim, well, this is what we do, right? This is what we're here for, John, is to help people like this to challenge their disability insurers, to start a legal claim and really put it to the company, not the adjuster, but the company and their lawyers that all of these assumptions are not going to hold water. Because what I know, and I know the insurance company's lawyers know this too, is that the courts, when they look at situations like this, when there are medical information or a dispute, so to speak, between doctors about where someone's at from a health perspective, courts will always prefer the treating doctors they're not going to prefer the hired gun. And so I, you know, I don't get too hot and bothered about the IMEs necessarily if I know that my clients, doctors are still supporting the ongoing disability claim. So that is really, you know, a fairly comprehensive answer to, to this question, but I thought it was a good one uh, to talk, to have an opportunity to talk about how these IMEs work and how this would play itself out if the insurance company was actually relying upon it to cut off a claim. Good stuff, pal. Let's move on to a, uh, another email anytime for you. and may appear on a future show as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Ricky's up next. Says, uh, Tamar, my union told me that if I have a problem with my LTD payments, I will have to hire a lawyer at my own expense. The union will not help me if there is a problem. Is that true? My insurance company is not paying me properly, nor are they paying me on time. My union is doing absolutely nothing about it. They suggest I hire a long-term disability lawyer on my own. Is that true? What's going on? Yeah, well, look, it can be true, um, but it's not that straightforward. So I'm actually glad Mm. that Ricky reached out to us. And so some, the vast majority of unionized people, John, we can help. Okay. So I want to really just emphasize that messaging that 
just because you're unionized doesn't mean that you have to go through your union to fight the insurance company for disability benefits. In fact, generally speaking, you don't have to at all. But there are categories of unionized people who have to go through their union to fight the insurance company. Not big categories, but the law in Ontario in particular has created these buckets of people, John. And so what I always recommend to unionized people is just send me your collective agreement. That is absolutely the starting point. I'll put some eyes on it, a couple minutes, I'll look through it and see whether or not it has those sections that say if you're unionized and if you have a dispute, you've got to go through your union to fight this. The fact that Ricky's being told by his own union, hey, you know, you can find you can find yourself a lawyer, tells me he's not in that category. In fact, he should be considering, you know, hiring a legal counsel and, and fighting his insurance company if they've cut him off. But it sounds like maybe they haven't yet. The problem seems to be the timing of payments is what he's saying to us and that they're not paying him properly, which I, I got to wonder whether that means that, you know, maybe his benefit number or figure or amount is not correct. Uh, perhaps it's the, the time frame, like maybe they should be paying at the start of the month, but they're paying at the end of the month. So when there are those kinds of disputes, then it's not so cut and dry in terms of what a disability lawyer can do. In a situation like that, Ricky is better off actually complaining about the adjuster. Like, take it up the chain with the insurance company. Take it up a level. Talk to the manager. You know, ensure that you've engaged the right people at the insurance company as to what those issues are about the timing of the payment or an underpayment. But the reigning supreme issue there is, of course, you've got to make sure that your policy aligns with what you're expecting to receive. So I wonder whether there might be a disconnect between how Ricky was being paid by his employer Mm -hmm. and what he's now getting for his LTD benefit. Well, then that becomes an employment issue, John. And if it's an employment issue where you are unionized, You've got to press the union to help you with that, right? So so I feel for Ricky because it's not easy to navigate these waters when you're on claim, you're getting your disability benefits, but you have an employment issue that you your union is refusing to help you with. And, you know, people tell me all the time, oh, tomorrow my union is useless, this and that. Look, I don't want to slag on unions. I think there are some that are fantastic and they really help their members out there. But when there are situations where... You know, you've got a disability claimant who's not getting the help that they need from their union. There's not a lot of recourse, right? It's similar to how the insurance companies are constructed. You've got, you know, a, a representative at the union. And then my understanding is there's just someone a level higher and a level higher than that. And so I would encourage Ricky to take it up the chain that way as well, maybe, and perhaps see whether there's some help that he can receive. But at the end of the day, if he is being underpaid by the insurance company because his employer did not report fully what his salary was, then that could potentially be grounds for a grievance. And so he should not hesitate to pursue that with his employer and put it on the insurance company's radar as well, formally, like in writing. Because if you agree to receiving those payments from the insurance company and you don't do anything about it or they don't know that you have an issue with that, it may close the door then of the recourse that you might have down the road if the insurance company cuts you off or says that there's a payment problem or decides that they don't want to pay you at all because maybe they overpaid you. There's so many scenarios, John, that are going through my head. Hmm. But the final uh, analysis really is is that just because you were unionized doesn't mean that door is closed to pursue a legal claim for benefits. 
Ricky, really appreciate you reaching out. Further conversation, which you'll probably want to uh, carry on with tomorrow. Member of her team, no problem. You can always do that. It's an open door for you. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Let's bounce back to mydisabilityquestions.com. That, by the way, is free and anonymous to use. Searchable database, which uh, basically means that a question similar to yours. Uh, very well has been asked in the past and you can simply read the answer or carry on and write your own question. That'll be, uh, that'll be fine as well. Uh, is there a time frame? Is there a time frame to make a claim? My injury was in 2008 and stopped working for my company 2009. They paid me a wage loss, but I never collected any damages or loss. And now I'm completely wheelchair bound. Any chance you can help me with a claim now? <sighs> this one's tough, John. Yeah. 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 John's no John knows what I'm going to say fair listeners which is you only have 2 years to start any sort of dispute or a legal claim across the country. And so and we do work across the country and this is fairly consistent that if you've been injured and that injury results in compensation or should have resulted in compensation for you, you cannot wait past that 2 year mark from when you would have realized that you had a claim to make that claim. With disability, it's a little bit different because if this individual had been receiving long-term disability for a period of time, so he or she got injured in 2008, maybe started receiving LTD sometime uh, thereafter, maybe within six months of that injury, and then perhaps he or she got cut off in 2010, 2011, then you would have a, a, a claim that starts from that point on so the two-year mark would start potentially from when the insurance company denied the LTD, but we're still in, you know, several, over a decade past this point in time, unfortunately. And so there is nothing within time that I can tell, at least from what's been described, that it would allow us to get around that hard and fast two-year mark. This is why it's really, really important for people to get information about their legal rights before that time clock starts to end or stop. Because if that two-year mark is done, there is no recourse. It's not, there's no gray generally when it comes to limitation periods in any of the provinces. And so you want to make sure that you're getting timely legal advice and making those choices around whether or not you've got a claim so that you don't lose the opportunity for compensation, even if perhaps things weren't so bad for this person in 20, 2008, but certainly are now. You don't want to be in a situation where it's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. You want to be proactive about these things and get the advice that you need so that you've got the things in place for the compensation, frankly, that probably this person was owed. It's interesting, too, as we get to a break, you think, oh, two years is a lifetime. But, man, that can tick by really quickly. Again, that's why we remind people on the show, right, that uh, just get on it because before you know, the time has elapsed, right? Exactly. And I think that when people think two years, oh, that's just such a long time. But I can assure you that when you are dealing with your health issues, wait times, other things, treatment and so on, that time frame can pass very quickly. And so this is why we do these shows. This is why we do these free consultations is because we want to get information out to people as quickly as we can so that at least they know, okay, if it goes this way, I have this option. If it goes that way, I have that option. But at the very least, there are options. Once that two-year mark is done, those options close and the court will bar your claim. It will say you are not entitled to because you're past that two-year point. And with that, we'll take a uh, short break. Grace, thank you so much for the email. Just uh, landed in the inbox. We'll get to you after that break. Tomorrow wants to talk about that for sure. And for you while uh, listening to the show again this week, you can always reach out to one 821 
5900, that email address, help at disabilityrights.ca. And for more education, free and anonymous, just built and minted, released it the other week called pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. Check that out as we continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yeah, this is the Disability Law Show. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Tamara Gopian is who you want to reach out to at uh, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. Always there for a phone call. Wonderful advice. She's been in the trenches. She's been on the dark side having worked for insurance companies in the past, so she's got the uh, the knowledge. Pull back the curtain and you will meet Oz in the form of Tamar. She's ready to take care of your particular uh, your predicaments, at least with a phone call. All right, no problem. 1-855-821-5900. If you want to go with an email as well, you can double up. Help at disabilityrights.ca, which is where we're going to go right now. As mentioned, Grace, thank you so much for uh, participating and uh, adding to the show today. Grace says this. Tamar says, I'm on LTD for mental health issues. My group policy has a one-year change in definition, which takes place for me at the uh, the end of September. The uh, the insurer said that my LTD is approved past the date, uh, changeover date, but was not specific. Is there anything I need to do now to protect myself? I'm certain that the insurer will start putting pressure once a change of definition kicks in. Thank you so much. Oh, Grace. Yeah. You've been listening to the show. I can <laughs> tell right. you've been listening to the show. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she's absolutely right. So, so look. Um, again, interesting though, right, John, about the one year change of definition. So mm-hmm. we're seeing this in a couple of, uh, you know, emails and calls today about, uh, this period of time where it changes from, you know, the insurance company looking at Grace and saying, can she go back to her own occupation, her own job, the job that she was doing before she became unwell and not able to work. And then the lens changes, the, the, the look changes, the test changes under the policy. And it then says, is there something else that Grace can do? Anything in the world that she would have education, training, and experience to do or could get that would put her in a job that would allow for, I, I suppose, the restrictions and limitations that she has for her health issues and that would enable her to earn, give or take, her LTD benefit, which is usually about two thirds of what she was making before she became sick. So, it's no longer putting her back at earning 100% of what she was making before, which is very frustrating for people, but but intentionally done by these insurance companies, right? Because they want to weed out claims. They want to be able to make it tougher for people to be approved for LTD past that changeover in the definition, which for Grace is happening at that one-year mark. I do think it's very positive that she's been approved past the one-year mark, uh, but there are no guarantees. And that is the challenge for Grace is that what can she, she, this is what she asks us, what can she do to protect herself? And so I suspect it will be more of the same Grace. So you want to make sure that your own doctors, perhaps it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, a counselor, whoever she, whoever's involved in treating her mental health issues should be engaged and ready to provide updated information when needed to the insurance company. Having comprehensive reports to the insurance company, not not a little one-liner on a piece of napkin or whatever it is, an actual report with a few paragraphs, some explanations around the ongoing symptoms for Grace, very important, ongoing treatment efforts, very important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if there's a prognosis, so if there's an expectation that she might be able to consider return to work in three to six months, that's okay to indicate 
but just be forewarned that then you're going to get even more pressure in that time frame from the insurance company about, okay, are you going back to work? Okay, are you going back to work? You know, that kind of thing. So you want to make sure that your treatment providers are aware that this changeover is happening and what the insurance company is looking for is medical support that she cannot work in these alternative occupations or in any capacity in any setting, John. It's very different than what the doctors would have put into the initial forms when someone applies for LTD or short term in that for that matter. But the test really is, you know, can they do their job? And not, and doctors, I think, can get their heads around or, or their heads around this idea of, okay, my patient is unwell, they cannot work, I'm putting them off work. It becomes very technical though when this change of definition review is happening by the adjusters. And it's difficult sometimes to have that conversation with your with your doctor and your treatment providers to say, okay, but now they're saying something else. So what is your opinion about that? And that really is an important conversation to have with your own doctors. Perhaps have an offline discussion before things are put in reports and, and clinical records and then make sure that their cooperation is ongoing because the insurance company is going to continue to review. They're going to continue to adjudicate, look at Grace's claim, and will continue to seek opportunities to try and bring that claim to an end, which means stopping payments. And if they do that, you know, sooner than she is ready to return, sooner than her doctors think she's ready to return, then it does form a basis for her to start a legal claim. She, she can challenge those rights. And so I think this change of definition review, you know, is one that's tricky to navigate. Good that she's been approved past that point, but also one that she should be very aware of that it's not a guarantee that benefits are going to continue now until she turns 65. Because if insurance companies can save a year or two or three off of that full policy value, then they're absolutely going to find those opportunities to cut off those types of claims. Eh, let me ask you this: So, as far as uh, as far as that's continued, the uh, the change of definition. I mean, is is this something that you would? You're not. I know you're not doctors. You don't give medical advice. Doctors don't give legal advice. But it, are doctors free to give you a call and say, "How do I how do I navigate what I've just been asked here?" Uh, absolutely, and yeah. and so you know, I think that there is some hesitation actually for treatment providers to contact us, but they absolutely should. Um, you know, we've done seminars for groups of, of treatment providers before. We're happy to do that if there are groups that want further advice on how to navigate disability claims for their patients. You know, I have talked to doctors before as well, John, before, gen- you know, reports get generated uh, in the context of a legal claim. And I've always found the doctors to be very receptive to those conversations because, you know, they are committed to the well-being of their patient and they don't want to see the patient, you know, experiencing you know, further more increased symptoms because of what's happening with the insurance company and their payments. And so that, you know, that goes hand in hand in my mind. Uh, and one that's important that, that we work with cooperative, cooperatively with our, our clients, doctors, so that we are working towards that same goal, but also ensuring that their rights are protected and that their health is protected. And with that, we'll take a, a short break. We'll get into more very shortly, but uh, we'll give you the uh, the contact information anytime, not just during the hour of the show, to reach out to Tamar and team. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Phone number 1-855-821-5900. And you have the option of uh, typing your questions into mydisabilityquestions.com as well. We'll continue with a few more minutes of the Disability Law Show. Hang on.
You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back to the Disability Law Show. John Skoll's host, Tamara Gopian. She's the lawyer. She's got the knowledge and she's here every week to uh, make you that much smarter and give you the opportunity to reach out through several different ways if you want to contact her uh, during or after the show as well. Phone number sometime your first go-to, right? one 855 821-5900. You can always use an email, help at disabilityrights.ca. And we created a new website. Not we, I wasn't involved. I think it's amazing though. Tomorrow and her team did. It's called pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. Just go there freely and anonymously and, uh, and spend some time there lurking and you will learn a lot about the disability law process and questions to be asked there as well. Uh, pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. .ca is uh, is how you do that. Okay, adjusters. Now, many of them, Tamar, as part of their uh, assessment of a claim, they'll include some kind of rehabilitation plan or service. It might get you a little bit of anxiety. What sort of advice do you give on how to deal with the insurance company's rehab facility or provider? Because they're going to direct you somewhere, right? They, they will if they think that they can bring the claim to a close early. Okay, John. So, so they're going to spend money on the file by sending you to one of their treatment providers if they think that they can shorten the claim. And there's one insurer in particular that comes to mind where they actually do a cost-benefit analysis. They, they'll actually put cold, hard numbers on that analysis to say, hey, if we send this person to our rehab facility, we're going to save six months off the, off the life of the file. Uh, that's six months of benefits. It equals X dollars. And, you know, the rehab is cheaper, so we're going to go with the rehab option. And so... You know, and, and these facilities, John, Lifemark, CBI, Odyssey, there's a, there's a whole host of them that work with these insurers to do rehabilitation. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I gotta say, I mean, from what I hear from people, um, and what I obviously read and review in many, many claims files, uh, you know, they're not all, uh, there to actually assist and rehabilitate in the way that you would expect your own doctor, your own physiotherapist, your own psychotherapist to do. And it's because the insurance company is a, an important client of theirs and more important than you as a claimant, as a disability mm. claimant, and they want to keep getting that business, right? So if the insurance adjuster is directing that rehab, uh, you can, you know, assure yourself that this isn't something that's being done wholly to your benefit, even though that's how it's framed. And I think what's most frustrating for people is, you know, they feel that they must attend. And yes, the, there are policy sections that say, if we think you need rehab as an insurance company, we're going to make you go to, the, to our treatment provider. So what can you do in a situation like that to protect yourself? It, this goes right back to what I was saying even before our break, even to, to Grace's email. I think you want to make sure that your own doctors, your own treatment providers know, first of all, that you're, you're being asked by the insurance company to do this treatment. You want to understand how long is it going to be? What does it mean? You know, am I going twice a week to get, you know, aggressive physiotherapy? Is that something that's medically sound? What does my own doctor say about whether or not this is something that I should put my body through? And so that is an important conversation for people to have once the insurance company has decided that you're doing a rehab program is to make sure that there's transparency so that it's clear in writing you know, it's seven weeks, eight weeks, whatever it is, you're going twice a week. This is where it's going to be. This is what it's going to mean. Um, all of that is super important. And then relaying that to your own, own doctors and so on. And I think as well, it might be helpful for people to document their experience when they go. And I know this is a lawyer answer, John, and 
I know people get irritated even at parties where I'm like, well, did you write it down? Did you get something in writing? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a problem, I suppose, because for me, if it's not written down, then it, it doesn't exist, right? I don't like the verbal. And so with these kinds of assessments and treatment plans, you can ensure that the insurance company is going to put stuff in writing. The rehab provider is going to provide reports to your insurance company. So you as a claimant need to protect yourself as well. And if you've attended a session or two and that's aggravating your health or it's causing other health issues, then you want that documented on your end as well. And that can also include, by the way, a phone call and an email to your own doctor saying, hey, I just went to this session. It's the, it's the evening. I've had to pump myself with three you know, pain medications to get yeah. through so I can sleep. Right? Those kinds of things are really, really important um, to put into context. And so there's, you know, it, it's advice and take it or leave it type thing. But I think it's important for people to know because then the insurance company will look at this trajectory of how you did in the rehab and they're going to rely on that to then make their conclusions around whether or not they're going to release another LTD benefit this month or next month or three months from now. And if you don't have your own protections on responding to whatever it is that's being reported to the insurance company, you're going to find yourself in a situation where your benefits are cut off. Insurance company is going to say you're good to go. And they may even tell your employer, hey, they're ready. They've been through our rehab and they're work hardened and they're ready to get back to work on a graduated return. And so, you know, I, I would hate to see that sort of uh, snowball effect, which happens very often. And without having that protection of someone having their own documentation around, well, no, I actually didn't progress that way. And no, actually, that treatment actually made me worse as opposed to better. Or I actually didn't make the kinds of progress that was reported to the insurance company. And here's why. And that then becomes a more fair or more balanced, uh, you know, information available to the adjuster to them then make the conclusion. If they're going to bury their heads in the sand and still say, hey, we did our cost-benefit analysis, we've put the money here and we think that, you know, you're good to go and we're going to cut you off, well, then you know you have some protections, you've documented, your doctors are engaged, and we're, we're set to then challenge the insurance company for further benefits by way of a legal claim. That is the most effective and most efficient way to put the feet to the fire to the insurance company to do what they should have done, which is, hey, be patient and see the treatment plan through its end until your own doctors have recommended that you're ready to return back. And with that, a whole lot of content covered on this hour. You want to continue that conversation with Tamar and her uh, team. They'd love to have you uh, stop by with a, with a phone call or an email. That number as we wrap it up here, one 821 5900 The email we always use is help at disabilityrights.ca. You have the option of mydisabilityquestions.com. And as we mentioned, it's new. You can check this out uh, on your own time called pocketdisabilitylawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.